What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the JT Sports Podcast. I'm your host, JT, and got to give you guys my thoughts on the NFL Divisional Round. It was absolutely bananas, bro. Like, we got two all-time classics. Saturday night, we had the Packers versus the 49ers, which came down to the wire. And then tonight, we got the Buffalo Bills versus the Kansas City Chiefs. Which was just absolute madness. All right. The, I mean, I don't know any other way to put it. The, the divisional round this year was absolutely chaotic. Outside of the Ravens, Texans games, all the other games were fairly entertaining. But this Bills Chiefs game hits a little different for me. The reason why is because the Bills were the only team that I needed to win. So my parlay could be completed. And they didn't get it done. And there was a lot of stupid decision making by Sean McDermott. Like, you got to fire Sean McDermott. Okay, you, you got to fire this dude. He, he just isn't good enough to get you over the hump. So I'm going to be giving you guys my thoughts on the divisional round matchups. We're going to be touching on a couple of other NFL topics. The Raiders made Antonio Pierce their full-time head coach. RG3 and Jay Gruden are beefing on social media. Ohio State hired Bill O'Brien. That's their offensive coordinator, and he will be calling plays for the Buckeyes this upcoming season. And CeeDee Lamb, his mother this Dak Prescott. Before we get into it, if you haven't already, leave a like. Remember that we're not just a YouTube channel. We are a podcast, and you can find us on all podcasting platforms, Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon, wherever you get your podcast from, you can find the JT Sports Podcast. Give us a five-star review. Share the pod with your friends, family members, and acquaintances if you enjoy it. Let's get into it, man, because I got a lot of things that I got to get up off my chest. This is pretty much going to be a venting session for me tonight. So let's start off with the best game of the divisional round. The Kansas City Chiefs once again take down the Buffalo Bills in the postseason. I don't know what it is with the Buffalo Bills every time they play Kansas City in the playoffs, but they just can't find a way to knock this team off. And this was probably the best game that I've seen the Bills play in the playoffs against Patrick Mahomes. And they still couldn't get it done. Like, this game was too perfect for the Buffalo Bills to lose. But some way, somehow, they found the way to throw it away. And I knew the Bills were going to lose this game once I saw Sean McDermott attempt that fake punt. Like, what the hell were you doing? If you're going to go for it on fourth and five, then keep Josh Allen on the damn field, man. Like, why would you go for it but not do it with your best player on the field? That made no sense to me. Josh Allen was balling. He was playing an incredible game. It made no sense to go for it in that situation without him being on the field. That, that was stupid. And luckily enough, the Buffalo Bills still had a chance to win the game because Miko Hartman fumbled the ball in the back of the end zone. It got called for a touchback, and they got new life. And you're thinking to yourself, okay, Buffalo got bailed out from a dumbass decision by Sean McDermott. What are they going to do with it? Nothing. Because guess what they proceed to do after they get a second chance of life? 
Oh, they go three and out. And then they find a way to get Kansas City in the third down situation. And you're thinking to yourself, okay, maybe the Buffalo Bills still do have a shot at winning this thing. And then they get a pass interference call, which gives Kansas City another first down. And at that point, you're pretty confident that Kansas City is going to win this game. But then Kansas City... They end up having to give the ball back to Buffalo because the Bills defense is able to stop Patrick Mahomes again on third down without any penalties this time. So I'm thinking to myself, okay, Josh Allen, okay, Buffalo, there's no way y'all going to fumble away this opportunity. Y'all got eight minutes left in the game. All y'all got to do is play keep away from Patrick Mahomes, go down the field, and score a touchdown. And if this game... Came down to a field goal to win. Whichever team was going to be unfortunate enough to have to need a field goal to either win it or send it to overtime, they were going to lose. And that happened to be the Buffalo Bills. Like, I, I just don't get how you can put your faith in a kicker when you know what these kickers do when the game is on the line every single time. Every single time you got to rely on these kickers to win you a game in the postseason, they always fumble it. Like, look what happened to the Green Bay Packers Saturday against the 49ers. Hell, look what happened to the Buccaneers earlier today. For the life of me, it makes no sense why these coaches put their faith and their trust in these kickers, man. And Josh Allen played a fantastic game. Now, that touchdown that... He tried to get when Stephon Diggs was open on that drive route late in the game. I don't have a problem with that. Chris Jones was raining in on him, and that's why he couldn't get it there. But if it wasn't for Chris Jones getting in the way of that pass, that would have been a touchdown. Uh, you look at Kansas City, and you got to give them a lot of credit for this win. You, you can't say, oh, the refs wanted Kansas City to win. None of that because the Buffalo Bills had ample opportunities to win this game and to seal the deal. And they just couldn't take advantage of them. So miss me with the whole copium about the referees wanted the Kansas City Chiefs to win. That's bullshit. All right, just be honest about the game. The Buffalo Bills lost this thing because once again, in the fourth quarter, they couldn't get it done. Like, I get so tired of people always trying to put the blame on the referees, bro. Like, no, the referees are always going to make bad calls. They make bad calls in every single game. You went on pretty much an eight-minute drive. You keep Patrick Mahomes off the field. You got their defense exhausted. And the best you can do is get a field goal attempt out of it. Sean McDermott has to go. He has to go. Kansas City, I, I would never doubt Patrick Mahomes ever again. You know how people used to say, man, you can never count out Tom Brady because it's Brady. Well, you got to have that same philosophy when it comes to Patrick Mahomes. This Chiefs team that we saw in this game tonight was not the same team that we've seen all year long. Like, even against the Miami Dolphins, their offense didn't look as good as what they did tonight. I find it ironic how this offense struggled all season long, but as soon as they get to go on the road and play the Buffalo Bills, because, you know, Mahomes, he, he, he's never played a road game in the playoffs, right? Well, I guess it didn't matter because Kansas City 
took that as motivation and they played their best game on offense that we've seen them play the whole entire year. And it's so ironic that it came against the Buffalo Bills. If you're a Bills fan, I got a lot of respect for you. If you wake up tomorrow and you still decide to rep your team, man, because if I was you right now, there's no way I would ever root for this team ever again. You can call me a bandwagon fan all you want to. I'm not a Bills fan. I'm a Steelers fan. So trust me, we, we going through some hard times, but I, I feel really bad for y'all because it sucks to get to the playoffs and get knocked out in a wild card round every year. But it's another thing. It's a different pain to support a team that just some way, somehow finds ways to blow championship opportunities. Every year, the Buffalo Bills have a good enough team to win the Super Bowl. They got one of the most talented quarterbacks that ever played this game in Josh Allen. The dude is a freaking freak. And the Bills still can't get over the hump. Like, what is it going to take? Hell, let's go even further back. In the days of Jim Kelly, you went to four straight Super Bowls. Couldn't win any of them. I got a lot of respect. For all the members of Bill's Mafia, man, because this franchise done put y'all through some bullshit. And tonight, if you decide to wake up and say you're no longer going to be a Bill's fan, you should get a pass for that. Nobody should get upset with you about that or try to call you out on being a fake fan because this organization has done an extreme disservice to their fan base by continuing to choke in the postseason year after year after year after year after year. Like, this game, with the way it started out, you felt in your soul that, yeah, this was it. This was finally going to be the chance that we can knock off Mahomes and go to the AFC Championship and possibly make it to the Super Bowl. But instead, you get your soul ripped out, not by Mahomes, but by your field goal kicker. Like, I I'm still dumbfounded on the decision to go for that damn fake punt. I don't care about the numbers. It, it doesn't matter, bruh. If you're going to go for it on fourth down with this big of stakes involved in a game like this, you keep your best player on the field. This is another example of why Sean McDermott has to go. Who cares if he makes it to the playoffs? Who cares if they're not that far away? He obviously isn't the dude to get them over the hump. Tony Dungy got fired for the same thing with the Tempe Buccaneers. You want to know something funny? As soon as they fired Tony Dungy and they traded for John Gruden, guess what they did? They won the Super Bowl. Hell, if you ask me, they should fire Sean McDermott? And go after Bill Belichick or Mike Vrabel or Jim Harbaugh. Imagine if they could get Jim Harbaugh. There's no way they want to be able to win a Super Bowl if they had Jim Harbaugh as their head coach. They just need some new blood in there at head coach, bro. Because Sean McDermott, he's a good enough coach to get you to the playoffs. But he's not good enough to get you anywhere further. Eventually, you got to get tired of coming up short and you got to look at yourself in the mirror and you got to ask yourself what changes needs to be made. And Sean McDermott has made all the changes possible to save his job. 
He got rid of his former offensive coordinator. Hell, he pretty much forced Leslie Frazier out the door. We thought that Leslie Frazier's defense was the problem, but obviously not. Because we saw this game, Sean McDermott's defense couldn't stop Mahomes damn near to save their life outside of, you know, in the fourth quarter after they got that lucky fumble recovery thanks to Miko Hartman fumbling it in the back of the end zone for a touchback. But if it wasn't for that, that game or the game would have already been over once they scored that touchdown. All that did was prolong the inevitable. And, and it's just like when you saw them go for that fake punt, you knew Buffalo was going to lose, despite how many chances they had at winning the game. Because that's just a stupid decision. And when you make stupid decisions and crucial moments like that, it just shows that you just don't have good decision-making in high-pressure situations. Hell, the first time they played this year in the regular season, they got lucky to win that game thanks to J.R. Tony lining up offsides. It's just... You got embarrassed by Buffalo a couple of years ago, and you just continue to get embarrassed by the Kansas City Chiefs. And I won't even say you get embarrassed by Kansas City. You embarrass yourself against Kansas City. Buffalo should have won this game. They should have. You can't put it on the refs. You can't put this loss on anybody but Sean McDermott. Josh Allen played his tail off in this game. This was the best game that I've ever seen Josh Allen play. He was laying it all on the field. He had no interceptions, no turnovers. Do you know how rare it is to watch a Josh Allen game where he commits zero turnovers? You see, Josh Allen played his A++ game, but so did Mahomes in the Kansas City Chiefs offense. This offense was humming on all cylinders. I thought with them having to settle for field goals early, I was under the assumption that, okay, like, Buffalo, their offense, they got more talent, they got a better offensive line, Kansas City, they're struggling to punch it in the end zone, they're going to win it, but no, j just no, it, it just isn't meant for the Buffalo Bills to ever win a Super Bowl. This franchise must be cursed by something. I don't know what they did to upset the football gods, but they don't want you to win. They don't. I, I, I'm just so lost for words right now. What the hell we just witnessed? This game was chaotic. There were so many crazy penalties that Buffalo had called on them that allowed Kansas City to keep the drive alive. And yet they still find a way to get the ball back to Josh Allen and they do nothing with it. Like they got that fumble and they went three and now. Are you kidding me? Like, are you serious? But neither one, but you can't take away how well Josh Allen played in this game. But Mahomes, he played well also. Neither one of these quarterbacks could have been stopped. And I was already knowing that once we got into the third quarter with the way both of these two QBs were playing, that it was going to come down to whoever had the ball last. And with Josh Allen having the ball last, you would think that Buffalo was a guarantee locked to win this game, but they weren't. Kansas City's defense stood up despite being on the field for damn near half of the fourth quarter. Their field goal kicker comes on the field, and as soon as they had to throw the field goal kicker out there, I knew it was wraps. I, I didn't even need to watch the final play. I just closed my eyes, and as soon as they said, he missed it, I was like, oh, of course he missed it, because that's what these kickers do best. 
Sean McDermott has to go, man. You you can't keep this dude in Buffalo anymore. He's a good coach, but he's not a championship caliber coach. Just because you keep up, just because you keep coming up short doesn't mean that eventually you're going to pull through. Andy Reid kept up kept on coming up short with the Philadelphia Eagles. He never won a Super Bowl in Philadelphia. Sean McDermott He's a good coach, but maybe it's just time for a change of scenery for him. Maybe he needs to go to a different team like the Washington Commanders or the Tennessee Titans and rebuild those teams. And eventually, if he can get them to a Super Bowl caliber level, try again with a different organization. But it's just not working in Buffalo. And he, he's gotten rid of his coordinators. You got rid of Leslie Frazier. You got rid of Ken Dorsey. And you still can't get over the hump. Hell yeah, you had hella injuries on defense, but so did Kansas City. So save me the excuses. I don't want to hear nothing about injuries. Every team in the playoffs has injuries, man. The 49ers beat the Green Bay Packers without Debo Samuel. The Baltimore Ravens have been without Marlon Humphrey, Mark Andrews for different portions of this season, and neither one of those dudes suited up when they smashed the Houston Texans. You see, once you get into the postseason, man, it's not about who's more healthy. It's about who wants it more. It's about who can execute when the game is on the line, and time in and time out, every single time the Buffalo Bills get into the playoffs, they are never able to get it done when the game is in the balance. But the Chiefs always do for some reason. And it's really similar to the Tom Brady and Bill Belichick Patriots dynasty. The difference between the Patriots dynasty and everybody else in the NFL at that time during their run was just that it wasn't all because they had Tom Brady and Bill Belichick, but it also was because you had a team that knew how to elevate their game and knew how to come through when it mattered the most. Buffalo just doesn't have that, they they don't have that DNA. They don't have that championship will. Because no matter what happened to Kansas City, they still weren't rattled. They still weren't making stupid decisions like Sean McDermott was with the fake punt. That was a panic move. He felt the momentum of the game starting to switch. And he didn't trust his defense, so he went for a stupid gamble, and it backfired miserably in his face. He was just fortunate enough that it didn't bite him in the rear end at that moment. Luckily enough, Miko Hartman threw the ball up in the end zone, and it was a touchback. And then you, you're able to still get off the field despite the pass interference call. You get Mahomes another third down situation. You get the ball back to Josh Allen for one more drive. And you do everything that you possibly could to keep him off the field. And it worked well up until you weren't able to get the touchdown. And you had to settle for three. Championship DNA. The Buffalo Bills don't have it. Sean McDermott has to go. If I'm the Buffalo Bills ownership right now, I'm livid. I'm pissed because there's no reason Buffalo should have lost this game. Buffalo had every opportunity to seal the deal and they choked like they always do in the playoffs. This is embarrassing. You couldn't win with Jim Kelly, four straight Super Bowls, and you couldn't win one? And I wasn't even alive back then, but just hearing about it just makes me upset and I'm not even a Buffalo Bills fan. 
I got a lot of respect to the Bills Mafia out there. I really have a lot of respect for y'all. I'm not saying this to be funny. Like, genuinely, you guys have my respect because I don't know how you can continue to root for a team that rips your heart out like this. Every time you think you're going to come close to winning a championship, you think it's the year this team just collapses when it matters the most. And it's not like you go out like how the Dallas Cowboys do. When the Cowboys go out bad in the playoffs, they get embarrassed. But in this game, you really would have thought that Buffalo was finally going to get it done. You really did. Even with the injuries that they had on defense. Like this offense was balling. What the hell happened? Honestly. Like if anybody thinks Sean McDermott should keep his job. I, I really got to question your decision making if you were a general manager or owner and you continue to allow this to happen. You continue to be okay with, I'm not going to say mediocrity, but you're okay with coming in second and third place. I wanted to see Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson in the AFC Championship. You want to know why? Because we would have had an AFC Championship with two quarterbacks who are looking to break through, who are looking to get to not only their first Super Bowl, but also looking to capture their first Lombardi trophy and change the narrative about their careers. Do you know how career-changing a Super Bowl win would be for Josh Allen right now? And Lamar? Like, I believe Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, Joe Burrow are just as good as Patrick Mahomes. Like, I don't believe Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback in the NFL, and then it's just everybody else. Lamar, Josh Allen, Joe Burrow are just as good as Patrick Mahomes, just in their own ways. Like, Josh Allen couldn't be stopped in this game up until it actually mattered, and they actually needed him to pull through and get him in the end zone to seal it. And I'm not going to put this loss all on him. But he does deserve a little bit of the blame despite how well he played. But mostly I'm putting the blame on Sean McDermott. I can't believe this shit, man. And what has me so upset, and you may be wondering, JT, why are you going so hard? Man, I had a four-leg parlay at the Ravens minus nine, at the Packers plus ten. I had the Detroit Lions minus six and a half. All I needed was for Buffalo to win. I have Buffalo Bills money line and they didn't come through. And I should have known better because everybody was telling me, man, JT, you crazy for betting against Mahomes. And I was like, man, like, I'm one of those people that I don't bet on teams because of one player. Like, the same people who say, oh, well, you you can't bet against Mahomes. He's going to make you pay every time. With the same people who said that you shouldn't bet against Tom Brady in his final game against the Dallas Cowboys. The Bills were a better team than Kansas City on paper. At least you would have thought with how their offense looked. Kansas City is moving on to the AFC Championship. My thoughts on Kansas City... I really can't say anything about them that I haven't said already. You know, once again, Patrick Mahomes showed us all, Andy Reid showed us all, and Travis Kelsey showed us all why they are the dynasty in waiting. Okay, I don't believe they're going to be the next New England Patriots dynasty, but they are, they're going to have their own different kind of dynasty. They're not going to win a Super Bowl every single year, like back to back to back, but they're probably going to win at least three or four more Super Bowls in the next decade or so. 
This team just has that championship identity. They got the recipe for being able to get a big play when the game is in the balance. Their defense was on the field for damn near half of the fourth quarter, and they stood up, got Josh Allen and those boys off the field, got the field goal kicker on there, and you saw what happened. They just know how to win. They have that championship drive. The Bills don't have that. You had to drop by Stephon Diggs. I get it that Josh Allen threw the ball the freaking Saturn. But come on, Stephon. You're a top three, top five receiver in the game. You got to catch that, man. Like, wasn't you crying after y'all lost to the Cincinnati Bengals the, the last year? Like, you would think that, you know, he would have the, the wherewithal to catch that. I can't believe that. And don't even get me started on the other third down drop that they had on third and 12. Like, this team just completely unraveled in the fourth quarter. We, we talking about the collapse of the Philadelphia Eagles or the downfall of the Philadelphia Eagles. The downfall of the Buffalo Bills in this game must be studied. I mean, Sean McDermott calling that fake punt. And who did he run it with? Damar Hamlin? Buffalo deserved to lose this game. They, they deserve to lose this game. But at least we get to see Patch Mahomes versus Lamar Jackson in the AFC Championship. Kansas City, I'm not going to overlook them against Baltimore, but I'm not about to pick against my dude, Lamar Jackson. Y'all know how I feel about LJ, the young legend out of Pompano. And I believe that he's the best quarterback in the National Football League. And he's going to have the opportunity to show everybody that next week. But I really wanted to see Josh Allen versus Lamar Jackson, the AFC Championship. And I really wanted my four-leg parlay to hit. But thanks to Buffalo, once again, choking in the postseason, none of those things happen. But Kansas City, shout out to them. This is, once again, a world-class organization. Patrick Mahomes, he's one of the greatest quarterbacks ever. If he was to retire right now, you literally could make an argument about him being a top five QB ever. He may not have the stats and numbers, but just based on his level of dominance, he's going to what, his sixth straight AFC championship? The last time I remember a quarterback doing that was Brady. I really don't have anything to say about Kansas City. I'll save my thoughts on Kansas City for later during this week. But this is really about the Buffalo Bills, man. Because they had every chance to win this game. With how well they played up until the closing minutes of the fourth quarter, you really believed, if you was a Bills fan, that this was going to be the game you finally beat Mahomes and Kansas City when it mattered. You were playing them at home. You got the home field advantage. Just a giant letdown if you're a fan of the Buffalo Bills. And one last time, if you're a Bills fan and you wake up tomorrow and you still decide that you want to remain faithful to rooting for this team, you have my respect. Because this organization has done y'all so wrong. Like, they, they've really hurt y'all. Y'all went to four straight Super Bowls, didn't win a single one. How does that even happen? And then you keep going to the playoffs thinking that this is finally going to be the season that you break through and you get a Lombardi and you just get it ripped from you because you can't beat Joe Burrow or you can't get past Patrick Mahomes. It's time to make a change. 
if I'm a Bills fan, I'm standing outside of the team's headquarters tomorrow morning with a big sign that says fire Sean McDermott because he has to go. And I don't like calling for people's jobs, but it's pretty obvious he doesn't have what it takes to lead this team to a championship. He built this team up. And for some reason, he can't get this team anywhere further. And you know the old expression that goes, you know, anytime you get out of a relationship, how a couple of months later, the person who you broke up with is in a relationship and they're doing better than what they was with you. It's kind of like you build the Buffalo Bills up if you're Sean McDermott for somebody else to come and win and do what you couldn't. It always gets me a little bit annoyed when people be like, John Gruden didn't win that Super Bowl with his team, he won it with Tungy, with Tony Dungy's team. So what? Who cares? Tony Dungy ain't won shit with it. John Gruden did. So if the Buffalo Bills fire Sean McDermott right now and they get Bill Belichick in there or Jim Harbaugh, I'm pretty confident they win it all next season. And I don't get why neither one of those coaches wouldn't take this job. It's already a championship-made roster. You don't have to do anything but coach it. Yes, the pressure is going to be really high because it's going to be Super Bowl or bust for you, but Bill Belichick and Jim Harbaugh are better coaches who are proven and know how to get a team to the championship. Sean McDermott doesn't know how to do that. This was a really sad game to watch if you're a Bills fan. And if you're a Kansas City fan, you're rejoicing right now because everybody counted you out. Everybody doubted you. They said your offense wasn't good enough. Patrick Mahomes was good, but the receivers around them weren't that great. But all of a sudden, they play the Buffalo Bills, and they just got all the pieces to the puzzle. So crazy. So crazy. Let's move on to the next game. The Detroit Lions are going to the NFC Championship, people. They took down the Buccaneers 31-23, and this game was a lot closer than what the final score may indicate. Okay, the Lions pulled away late in the second half, but Tampa Bay and Todd Bowles, they really surprised me. Baker Mayfield, he balled out in this thing. He threw two interceptions, including the game ceiling interception, but you can't put this loss on Baker. The reason why Tampa Bay lost this game was mostly due to drops from their wide receivers. Hell, even Mike Evans. We know how great he is. One of the best receivers of this decade. He was dropping passes. You know, you had your offensive line who, for some reason, didn't know how to stop the blitz of the Detroit Lions putting you in third and long situations. The Buccaneers, for them to have even made it to the divisional round is an accomplishment in itself. They should be throwing a parade in Tampa. But because before the season started, nobody thought that they were even going to have a winning record. There were people who had them in the tank for Kayla Williams sweepstakes. Todd Bowles is a solid coach, but I don't think he's a good coach. And that got exposed in this game because his defense, where was it? Who cares about the injuries, bro? Once again, don't use injuries as an excuse. When you get in the playoffs, everybody's injured. Everybody has some key player that's out. You have to be able to scheme that up. This defense was pretty solid for the majority of this year. But the Lions offense in the second half, 
at one point, they had scored three straight touchdowns. Jameer Gibbs had ripped off a big touchdown run when he juked out in, in Antoine Wake, Wakefield or Whitfield. Trying to remember what his name was, the safety. And then you had another play when Jared Goff is getting it done, throwing it to Sam Laporta, Amar Ross St. Brown. This was a world-class performance out of Jared Goff. It really was. Baker Mayfield played well, but Jared Goff played better. You see, I knew that Detroit was going to win this game. I wasn't expecting it to be a blowout, but you were at least expecting them to win this game by at least a touchdown. Tampa Bay, like I said earlier, for them to even have made it as far as what they did this season, you should be celebrating that. But they did have somewhat of a chance to win this game, but their defense... They, they just had no answers for Jared Goff and company in the second half. Detroit has so many weapons offensively. It's like when you got one dude stopped, you got to worry about another dude going off. Like you got to worry about a Marron State Brown, then you stop him. You got to worry about Jamison Williams. You stop him, you got to worry about Sam Laporta, who I thought was injured. And then you stop him, you got to worry about Jameer Gibbs and David Montgomery. They got a really good offensive line they got a fantastic pass rush but their secondary is dog water and going up against the 49ers you know you saw what Jordan Love and the Packers did to them on Saturday night Detroit you believe they can do the same thing and I believe they can but is their secondary going to be able to hold up Green Bay secondary look better than what Detroit secondary looked like in this matchup and the secondary for Detroit has been my biggest problem with this team if they had a better group of cornerbacks this possibly would be my Super Bowl lock so I'm not counting them out against the 49ers but many people seem to believe that they're going to make it to the Super Bowl and they're going to pull off upset against Kyle Shanahan and the 49ers but I'm not all that confident about it I'm not saying that it can't happen but if I was to give you my prediction right now, I would take the 49ers. That secondary is just not good. I don't even get how their defensive coordinator is getting head coaching gigs. For what? Like, his defense hasn't been that good this year. The secondary sucks. What about the Lions' defense is good? Outside of them having a pretty good run defense. That's about it. Like, this secondary, if you put them... In a late game situation where they need to get a stop against Brock Purdy, I don't know if they're going to get it done. It's one thing to get it done against Baker Mayfield, but the team around them pretty much let them down with the offensive line not being able to pick up blitzes, receivers dropping passes. The Lions are a really great team, but against the 49ers, that secondary needs to play the best game that they've ever played this season for them to actually have a shot at winning that thing. It's going to be a close game. It could go either way, but the 49ers just are a more well-rounded team. Detroit secondary is going to hurt them in that game. Baker Mayfield, their offensive line was not good. Hell, they had success running the football. Temple Bay hasn't had success running the football in two years. They had a good amount of success running it on the ground with Rashard White, and he was a monster in this game. We talk about how well Baker Mayfield played, but Rashard White, he was an X-factor in this game too. And Mike Evans had a good game, but defensively for Temple Bay, you just couldn't get enough stops in the second half, and your offense was 
a little bit too inefficient. Your offense got your offense came alive too too soon, too late. If Tampa Bay's offense would have played this game the same way they did in the fourth quarter for its entirety, possibly they walk away with the W. Hell, many people I talked to expected for the Lions to beat the hell out of the Tempe Buccaneers. They were telling me that this game was going to be a blowout and it wasn't even going to be close. And it was kind of not even a reason to watch. And I was like, man, it's playoff football. You know, like you, you just can't ride a team off like that. I get the Buccaneers don't really look all that impressive. And you may not be all that thrilled about Todd Bowles and Baker Mayfield, but they got this far for a reason. And this was a pretty competitive game. It was tied at halftime, 10-10. Right before the half, Baker Mayfield led them on less than a two-minute drive down the field to score. And he threw a fantastic pass to Mike Evans, which put them in scoring range. So at one point, the Buccaneers were getting right with the Detroit Lions, and they did have an opportunity to tie this game up. They had the ball on offense, the final drive. They, they, Baker Mayfield just couldn't get it done, but it wasn't really all his fault outside of that interception. He threw another one earlier, but it went through Mike Evans' hands and it got picked off by Charcy Gardner Johnson, who was talking a lot of noise on Instagram live after. But this was a great season for the Buccaneers. There's no reason to hang your head down if you're Baker Mayfield or anybody on this Bucs team because you laid it all out there. You know, that team didn't quit. They fought to the very end. They stayed composed. They had a missed field goal that if they would have made that, it would have changed the trajectory of how this game would have ended. But when you look at these top bowls teams, one thing that Tampa Bay is notoriously known for doing is beating themselves. And they did it a lot this afternoon with the drop passes, the penalties, this needs to be a more disciplined football team in 2024 this year. Do they need to improve the roster? Yes, they do. This offensive line needs a couple of more pieces. You need to finally be able to run the football next season. And we don't even know if their offensive coordinator is going to come back next year. He may end up going back to Seattle and becoming their head coach. But if he does come back, you got to improve the pass protection Definitely bring back Baker Mayfield, bring back Mike Evans, bring back the whole squad outside of a couple of guys on that offensive line. And Tampa Bay, they were in a lot of salary cap hell coming into this year. So they kind of just had to make do with what they could find. And they found the good bargain in Baker Mayfield. To me, he should win comeback player of the year. Not DeMar Hamlin, not Joe Flacco, Baker Mayfield. I was listening to Colin Coward his podcast on the volume before the season started, he said that Baker Mayfield should retire. I was like, damn, you think he should retire so he can save himself from the embarrassment? You know, Baker Mayfield has nothing to be ashamed about. He left it all on the field. He had an incredible game. Like when he got rolling, he was fun to watch. He was getting outside the pocket, making crazy throws. He was making throws that I didn't even know he was capable of making. Based on how Baker played this year, he was a top 10 quarterback. He played better than Jalen Hurts, Trevor Lawrence. How many other quarterbacks this season you can say played better than Baker Mayfield? Not too many. Hell, I would take Baker over to a Tagovailoa. Look what he did with the team that was projected to be one of the worst in the NFL versus what Tua Tagovailoa did. If the Dolphins had Baker Mayfield, 
they probably would still be in the postseason right now. Baker Mayfield had a really good season. This was a pretty successful season for the Tampa Bay. For them to even have made it to the division round, if you would have told me back in August they were going to win the division, I would have been like, okay, but they're going to be an early playoff exit. Then you tell me they're going to win a playoff game too. I would have been like, huh? What? Todd Bowles winning a playoff game? So there's a lot to build off from this season for the Buccaneers. The Lions, though, if you can dethrone the 49ers in the NFC Championship and you make it to the Super Bowl, do you know how legendary of a year this would be for Dan Campbell and that whole entire franchise? Like, they finally are able to conquer their demons of the past. They went from being one of the worst organizations in the NFL to becoming a Super Bowl contender. It's crazy. And they do have a really good shot at beating the 49ers. It's just that I can't trust that secondary to hold up against Brock Purdy. I really can't because Baker Mayfield was doing a lot of work against that secondary. And the interception that he threw the first one of the day wasn't on him. It went through Mike Evans' hands. The second one, I give him blame for that. Your defense came up and got a big stop when it mattered. But turnovers aren't a reliable way to have sustainable success defensively. The 49ers don't turn the ball over that much. They have one of the best turnover differentials in the National Football League. Therefore, when you're going up against a team that doesn't beat themselves and your only way of getting stops on defense consistently is by taking advantage of turnovers, how are you going to get stops against the 49ers then? And with the way Rashad White looked in this game, imagine what Chris McCaffrey is going to do against this defense. But... With how well Jared Goff and his offense are playing right now, they can definitely keep up point for point with the 49ers. It really is going to be a game that comes down to whoever gets the ball last. If Jared Goff and the Lions offense can get the ball on the last possession against San Francisco, they're probably going to the Super Bowl. They got a great offensive line, and there aren't really too many offensive lines that you can consider to be elite or great. We've only had about three or four O-lines this season that have been elite. And the Detroit Lions, they happen to be one of them. And they've had a couple of injuries in this game. Their center got injured. One of their guards got injured. So we're going to see what their status is going to be next week against the 49ers. But this is a tough team. Dan Campbell has done a remarkable job turning this franchise from the laughing stock of the National Football League into a legitimate Super Bowl contender. And if the Lions make it to the Super Bowl, if they got to go up against the Kansas City Chiefs, best believe I'm going to be rooting for Detroit. Now, if you got to go up against Lamar Jackson and that young legend out of Pompano, I I'm rooting for Lamar. But I want to be against seeing a Ravens-Lions Super Bowl. The way the Lions played offensively in the second half, they were on absolute fire. They have so much talent on offense. And it's just so hard to game plan for because when you stop one guy, you got to worry about somebody else. And they're really good up front. Both sides of the football. Their only Achilles heel is that secondary. If they had better corners, this would be my Super Bowl pick. But I'm eager to see what they do against the 49ers. They got a great win against Tampa Bay. I love what Dan Campbell said after halftime when they interviewed him. She had one of the reporters who was talking to him after halftime. They asked him, you know, how you feel about the way this game is right now. And Dan Campbell gave a great response. He said, you know, we expected this. This is playoff football. And the Buccaneers are 
here for a reason. And he had a point for that. He had a point with that. So Jared Goff going up against the 49ers defense, he's going to have time to throw the football. Their pass rush is severely overrated. People keep saying they got Nick Bosa. They got Chase Young. Like Nick Bosa has had a down season. And Chase Young, haven't even heard of his name since he got traded from the Commanders. I see why the Commanders traded him for a third-round pick. Because the dude did absolutely nothing of note against the Green Bay Packers. And he didn't really do anything during the regular season after they acquired him. So the Lions got a chance if they can get the ball on the last drive of the game. But if their defense is on the field and you're asking them to get a to get a stop against Brock Purdy and this 49ers offense to send them to the Super Bowl, I don't have a lot of confidence that they're going to be able to get it done. They got a really good pass rush, but similar to the 49ers problem on defense, their secondary is a liability at times also. But the difference is that the 49ers secondary is a little bit more consistent than what Detroit's is. But the Lions move on to the NFC Championship. They take down the Buccaneers 31-23. We got an all-time classic Saturday night when the Green Bay Packers gave the 49ers all they could handle. And I took the Packers to cover this game, plus 10. But I never would have thought... Watching this game, I will find myself actually believing that the Packers were going to win it. Up until before the fourth quarter, I was really convinced that Jordan Love was going to take Green Bay to the NFC Championship. And I was texting a couple of my homies and I was telling them, hey man, like, you think the Green Bay Packers could beat the Detroit Lions again and then make it to the Super Bowl with Jordan Love, but didn't get the luxury of having that conversation because the Packers, their field goal kicker, missed the field goal. Like, well, what's up with these field goal kickers, man? I, I, if I was a head coach, my first two things that I would tell my general manager to get is a damn quarterback and a great field goal kicker. Like, imagine if all these teams that had these missed field goals this past weekend had Justin Tucker, how different these games would have been. Kicker has to be the most underrated position in the National Football League. It has to be. We all give the quarterback position so much praise. And having a great quarterback is key to having success. But do you know how many games are won and lost and how many coaches lose their jobs because of games that come down to missed field goals? Just watching this game, it made me appreciate Having a good field goal kicker and Chris Boswell being a Steelers fan. If the Packers had a good field goal kicker, they possibly will be playing in the NFC Championship next weekend. It's crazy how they didn't even think to replace this dude because they asked Matt LaFleur or Mike LaFleur. I get their names mixed up, but Coach LaFleur about their kicking situation. He said that I just pray every time we got to kick one. Like if you got to pray every time you kick a field goal, wouldn't that mean that you need to move on and get a different one? That, that, that makes no sense to me, but okay, it, it costed them. And Jordan Love, he was balling out in this game. Like, this dude has been a top 10 quarterback this season. And a lot of people didn't really know what to expect from Jordan Love because we didn't really see too much of this dude. And his first two games of the start of this season were really good and then things got a little bit rough 
But then we enter that stretch of Thanksgiving football. And after Thanksgiving, that's when the real football season begins. That's when teams start to hit their strides. And that's when the contenders start to separate themselves from the contenders. And Jordan Love, during his final stretch of the season, his last couple of games, he threw 23 touchdowns and only one interception. In this game, he was making all kinds of crazy-ass throws from Different arm angles, off-platform. He has to be one of the best quarterbacks in the National Football League when it comes to playing off script. But unfortunately, the throws that he was able to hit in this game for the majority weren't able to put the Packers in a situation to win when the ball was in his hands on the final drive because the same throw that resulted in the interception which won the game for San Francisco, were the same throws that he was making with ease for basically the whole entire game. And then all of a sudden on the final drive, it bites him in the rear end. And I was just looking at him and I was thinking, bro, what like, what were you thinking trying to even attempt that pass? But at the same time, like, I didn't go at him too hard because it's not like he wasn't making those same throws for the other three quarters of the game. But the fourth quarter... Wasn't really that great out of Jordan Love. And that missed field goal really cost them. San Francisco, they looked really, really bad in this game. And it's even a surprise that they even were able to sneak out with a victory. Brock Purdy, say what you want to about this dude being overrated, calling him a game manager. He delivered in the biggest moment when San Francisco needed him to put them in position to win the game. That's the sign of you having a franchise quarterback. You see... I can't remember too many 49er games when they were in the playoffs. They needed a touchdown to win the game, and Jimmy Garoppolo delivered. As a matter of fact, it was the complete opposite. The 49ers, anytime they were in the postseason, their game plan was to keep the ball out of Jimmy Garoppolo's hands. Brock Purdy, Kyle Shanahan trusts them, and that's the reason why he throws the football a little bit more than what he has done in the past. When you think of Kyle Shanahan, you think of run first coach. But with Brock Purdy, it seems like he has like this air raid mentality that he thinks he's Mike Leach or Lincoln Riley and he can just sling the ball all over the damn football field. This wasn't Brock Purdy's best game, but he did show up in the fourth quarter. And that's what makes a great quarterback. You want to tell your quarterback Hey, we know you didn't have a great game, but you got a chance to make up for it because the ball's in your hands, lead us downfield, take us to the NFC Championship. That's what a franchise quarterback does. A franchise QB rises to the occasion, and that's what Brock Purdy did. And nobody in the media is giving him credit for it. You, you still keep trying to find ways to downplay Brock Purdy's success. He's not carried by talent. He's not carried by Kyle Shanahan. He's just a good quarterback in a really good situation like all the other great quarterbacks that have played this game. There's never been a single quarterback that's led a team to the Super Bowl with the terrible roster and the terrible head coach. You need talent around you to succeed in the National Football League. Brock Purdy, it wasn't a great game, but he put the 49ers in position to ultimately get the win. And he's the sole reason why they're even here. If it wasn't for... Them drafting Brock Purdy with the last pick of the draft, they wouldn't be here right now. Trey Lance isn't good. They traded him for a reason. Jimmy Garoppolo wasn't great. 
We saw what Jimmy Garoppolo was. He was just a good game manager. But anytime you needed Jimmy Garoppolo to step up and make the big throws to win you the game, he couldn't do it. That's why they lost that first Super Bowl that they went to under Kyle Shanahan to Patrick Mahomes. And Jimmy Garoppolo outplayed Patrick Mahomes for the first three quarters and eight minutes of that Super Bowl. But he missed that big throw to Emmanuel Sanders, and that was wraps. Brock Purdy, he put the 49ers in position to win. If you were to have Jimmy Garoppolo in this situation, they wouldn't have won that game. Because Jimmy Garoppolo was never really seen for being a clutch quarterback. He wasn't really a quarterback who you could trust in these late-game situations. So Brock Purdy, it wasn't his greatest performance, but he did deliver in the fourth quarter when the game was on the line, and he has my kudos for that. And I'm not even a Brock Purdy hater. Like, I love Brock Purdy. I defend Brock Purdy until, what, the death of me, honestly. I, I'm a Brock Purdy fan. I defend Brock Purdy just as much as I defend Lamar Jackson. These are two of the most overhated players in the NFL. People look at any small thing to criticize Brock Purdy about, but they never give him props for what he does do right. And what he does do is the most important thing, which we should only care about, which is winning. Who doesn't want a quarterback who wins games? That's what Brock Purdy has done. This dude went from being a four-string quarterback to coming out of nowhere and just taking the league by storm. The 49ers have had one of the best records in the National Football League with Brock Purdy at the helm at QB. You don't just go from being the last pick of the draft, which is pretty much a meme, to snapping against the Miami Dolphins last year, having no practice time, no chemistry with the first-team offense, and still being able to be as good as what you are. Like, this dude came off an elbow injury that was pretty concerning to a lot of people. And yet, he's still playing at a high level. He's an MVP candidate. He's not going to win MVP, but he definitely should finish as the runner-up behind Lamar Jackson for it or either third place behind CMC, however you want to rank him, he still deserves to be in that discussion. He's had a fantastic season, and I'm hoping that we get to see him in the Super Bowl. It's the battle of the most overhated players in the National Football League, Brock Purdy versus Lamar Jackson. So Brock Purdy, he came through. He led the 49ers to the win. The defense stepped up. The defense didn't play their best game. Hell, everybody's talking about how Brock Purdy didn't play that great. This defense didn't play good neither. They had no answers for Jordan Love. Jordan Love was doing whatever he wanted to do against the 49ers defense. And the big issue with the 49ers defensively is that you look at all the talent that they have on paper, but they don't necessarily play up to the level of talent that they have on that side of the football. This defense definitely has taken a step back under Steve Wilkes compared to how well it played under the Miko Ryans. They're not good at stopping the run. That's pretty evident with how well Aaron Jones was toting that rock and evident with how much success the Ravens had running the football against their defense. And you play Detroit in the NFC Championship, that has to be a very big concern. And if you can protect your quarterback and you can neutralize the pass rush of the 49ers, you expose another weakness that they have, which is their secondary. Now, their secondary isn't bad, but it's really inconsistent. And it's not a secondary that is good without having a good pass rush. 
So if you are the Detroit Lions, you got to be feeling really good about your chances. Because although your secondary is a lot worse than the 49ers, at least you know that you should be able to go point for point with San Francisco if this game results in you having to be in a shootout. Green Bay, though, this was an incredible season for them. Nobody expected them to make it this far. Jordan Love proved all the doubters and critics wrong, and he definitely looks like the next great Green Bay Packers quarterback. The Packers seem to be the only team in the NFL that has the formula to developing franchise quarterbacks. They had Brett Starr, then they had Brett Favre, then they go from Favre to Rodgers, and now they go from Rodgers to Jordan Love, and it just seems like the transition has been seamless. And they're working on getting Jordan Love a long-term deal. He's probably going to become one of the highest-paid QBs in the NFL. He's probably going to make somewhere around 45, maybe 47 million a year. I definitely think he deserves it with the well he with the way he played. I mean, second half of the season, a dude threw 23 touchdowns and only one interception. And yeah, he didn't come through in this game, but you know, for the most part, outside of that interception, this was a fantastic performance out of Jordan Love. He's a young quarterback. He's going to be back here, and he has a young team around him. Very good young receivers, a good offensive line. The Packers are going to be a force in the NFC for the next decade. And the reason why it's going to happen sooner rather than later, the Packers being able to make it to a conference championship game again and being able to make it to a Super Bowl again is because the NFC is lacking elite quarterbacks. The AFC has nothing but elite quarterbacks. You look at the teams that are in the playoffs this season that or, or were in the playoffs before they got eliminated. The teams that went to the divisional round, they all had great quarterbacks. You had C.J. Stroud. Who's played at elite level? You got Lamar Jackson. You got Patrick Mahomes. You had Josh Allen. The teams that put themselves at a disadvantage when it comes to being a legitimate contender are the teams that don't get elite quarterback play. When you don't have a truly elite franchise quarterback, it kind of handicaps you when it comes to your potential to win it all. The Green Bay Packers aren't going to have that. And with you having one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL and possibly a top two, top three quarterback in the NFC, it definitely improves your aspects of being able to win it all in the foreseeable future. So the future for the Packers is definitely bright. They draft insanely well. That, that's one thing that I always defended about the Packers. Like with the whole Aaron Rodgers situation, it kind of makes them look like the winners in the end because they trade away Aaron Rodgers and they got so much flack for trading up for Jordan Love. And this dude had an incredible season, leads them to the division round. They exceed expectations, over exceed expectations because there were people who didn't even think they were going to be a playoff team. So we look at this whole Jordan Love draft day trade up. They ended up being winners in the end, and now they got great receivers. The same things that people criticized about the Green Bay Packers not having when Aaron Rodgers is there, Jordan Love has. He has receivers. He has a great run game. He should have a really great defense. You know, the defense is really talented. They drafted well on that side of the football, too. It's just that the dude calling plays on defense isn't that great, but this was his best game ever as a play caller 
for the Green Bay Packers. Joe Barry's defense had an incredible performance against the 49ers. And the reason why I didn't think that the Packers were going to have a shot at winning this thing before the game kicked off was because of that defense. I was confident that their offense was going to be able to move the ball on San Francisco's defense. Their offensive line was going to be good enough to protect Jordan Love. And the receivers were going to be good enough to exploit uh average secondary of the 49ers. So if they can get a better defensive coordinator, this definitely is a team to look out for next season. But with how well the D played, that may be the only bad thing from this game, if you're a Packers fan, is the aspect of Joe Barry possibly returning next season and the last two games of the season being a reason to bring him back. Now, if you're LaFleur, you got an excuse to keep him around. Well, look how his defense played against the 49ers. Look how he played against the Chicago Bears. Look how they played against the Dallas Cowboys. So that's probably the only negative to take away from this game. If you're a fan of the Packers, is that Joe Barry is probably going to be back for another season. But the 49ers, man, they got some things to clean up before they play the Detroit Lions in the NFC Championship. I still would pick the 49ers to win. But it's definitely going to be a really close call. The Lions definitely have everything that you need to be able to have success against San Francisco. They can run the football. They're great up front. My only question is, how is that secondary going to hold up? The young legend out of Pompano and the Ravens took care of business against the Houston Texans. And watching Lamar in this game, he came... In this game, like, he has something to prove. You know, like, this game was a little bit personal for him. He wanted to use this game as a message to all of his haters and critics who say that he's a playoff choker, he can't get it done to the, he can't get it done in the playoffs, and use it as ammunition, as fuel to motivate him to lead the Ravens to the championship. And all those people who made all these narratives about Lamar Jackson not being a playoff performer, they got to be looking really stupid right now. Because Lamar Jackson, he pretty much carried the Ravens in this game. Four total touchdowns, two on the ground, over 100 rushing yards, two passing touchdowns. Lamar Jackson pretty much said, F it, I'm going to step up and I'm going to get us this win. There was no way... Lamar Jackson was going to allow the Ravens to have another slip up in the postseason. They're going to the AFC championship, and I believe that they're going to beat the Chiefs, and they should at least beat them by at least a touchdown or more, because this is the best team in the NFL. They don't really have any big weaknesses. You're going to have Marlon Humphrey and Mark Andrews potentially back for the conference championship game. You got a great offensive line. You got a great defensive line. One thing about the Ravens' defensive line is that they don't have a lot of household names, but they've gotten a lot of production from everybody on that unit. Jadavion Clowney is having the best season of his career. Justin Matabuke is all pro pretty much. You got outstanding linebackers, Patrick Queen, Roquan Smith, great secondary with Marcus Williams and Kyle Hamilton manning your back end. And your offense with these receivers, how well Lamar's playing, and Todd Munkin dialing up the plays, you expected this game to have the outcome that it did. The Ravens beating the Texans 34-10. to 
And I was really confident that the Ravens were going to cover that minus nine point spread. Hell, I took the Ravens minus 13 in the alternate point spread. And there were Texans fans at the start of the week leading up to this game who had me a little bit convinced at one point that they possibly could keep it close. But when you look at their argument, it was all rooted on the fact that they had C.J. Stroud. And C.J. Stroud has played at a top five level this year. But eventually, you're going to need to have a good enough team around a guy like C.J. Stroud to take down a team like Baltimore. Baltimore just had way too much firepower for the Houston Texans. Hell, their only touchdown came off a pump return. If it wasn't for that, they may not have even have gotten the 10 points. And at halftime, I was a little bit shocked that the game was as close as what it was. D'Amico Ryans was blitzing the hell out of Lamar Jackson, and that's what you have to do when you play Lamar Jackson because of how dynamic of an athlete he is. You just can't give the dude all day to throw the ball because he's going to dissect your secondary, and if nobody's open, he's just going to make things happen with his legs. So the only way that you kind of can give your shot yourself a chance against Lamar is by blitzing them nonstop. And Houston's defense in the second half, they, they just unraveled. Lamar Jackson was just way too much for them to handle. And I'm glad I'm not a defensive coordinator having to go up against Lamar because I know it has to be incredibly frustrating calling plays if you're the Miko Ryans. You got all the receivers locked up and Lamar Jackson just starts making all these crazy runs on third down to move the chains. He had two really big touchdown runs that were critical for the Ravens. And Lamar Jackson, in this game, proved once again why he should win most valuable player. And he is going to win it for the second time in his career because he carried Baltimore on his back. He pretty much said, no, after halftime, we're not going to win this game. I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure that we move on to the next round. And now we get Lamar versus Patrick Mahomes. And a couple of weeks ago, I made a video saying how I believe that Lamar Jackson is the best quarterback in the NFL. If we're going based on talent, we take accolades and Super Bowl rings out of the equation. Lamar Jackson is a more talented quarterback than Patrick Mahomes. It's not a single thing that Patrick Mahomes can do that Lamar Jackson can't do. But there's a lot of things that Lamar Jackson can do that Patrick Mahomes can't do. His athleticism... Is second to none. Nobody. Lamar may be the most athletically gifted quarterback that ever played this game. He damn near runs like a 4-2-8, high 4-3. He has like cat-like agility in the open field. The way opposing players who go up against Lamar Jackson describe what it's like going up against LJ, they make it seem like it's hell on earth. Because you don't really know what to expect when you're going up against Lamar Jackson. He can either embarrass you by throwing the football, looking like the black version of Tom Brady, or he can put your ass on a highlight reel by juking you out of your ankles. It's really hard to stop Lamar Jackson. And the only reason why people have Patrick Mahomes over guys like Lamar, Josh Allen, and Joe Burrow is because he has the championship rings. And you see too often... I hear these guys in the national media say Mahomes is better because he has the championships when championships aren't an individual accolade. Championships are a team accolade. You got to have a good team around you to win the Super Bowl. The squad that Lamar Jackson has 
is not the same squad that Patrick Mahomes has this season. And you can say Mahomes is a better passer than Lamar, but it's not by a huge margin. Have you not seen the way Lamar Jackson has been throwing the rock this year? He, this is the most effective that Lamar Jackson has ever been as a passer. And hell, even the year he won MVP, he led the NFL in passing touchdowns that year. Lamar Jackson has always been a great passer. The problem is that he never had the offensive coordinator that allowed him to demonstrate that ability. Tom Munkin has taken Lamar Jackson and turned him into an unstoppable force. And in the AFC Championship, we're going to get the unstoppable force versus the immovable object. And I think that it's only right that we get Lamar versus Patrick Mahomes in the AFC Championship, even though I wanted to see Josh Allen. But, you know, Kansas City, they're going to pull out all the stops. You can never overlook them. The Ravens are a more talented football team. And even Patrick Mahomes even kind of acknowledged that after the game in his post-game interview when they took down the Bills. And she asked him, you know, what's your early thoughts on the Ravens? And he said, you know, we're, we're going to have to play our best game. And Kansas City, you wonder how much juice they have left in the tank after an emotional game like this. You know, the Ravens, they're, they're focused. Beating the Houston Texans, they're not celebrating too heavy over that. You know, they probably celebrated for a couple of minutes, a couple of hours, and they're on to the next game. And this is the biggest game of Lamar's career because he's never made it to an AFC championship. And if he wins the Super Bowl, you're now going to start hearing people make the argument about him being better than Patrick Mahomes. And this is going to be a game where he's going to be able to show that. If Lamar goes toe-to-toe with Mahomes and he outplays him, there's really nothing that... Nobody in the national media can say to downplay Lamar's success anymore. I, I get so tired of people hating on Lamar Jackson. It really frustrates me. It really irritates me to hear Shannon Sharp not giving Lamar the credit he deserves. Everybody needs a great team to be able to win. Okay? Like Lamar Jackson shows you he can throw the football. You're still calling him quarterbacky. Like what the hell does that even mean? Quarterbacky? That has to be one of the stupidest things that I've heard of this year. Like, Lamar Jackson, I can't wait for him to show everybody this week against the Kansas City Chiefs how good he truly is. And maybe it's a good thing that he didn't have to go up against Josh Allen. Because if he beats Josh Allen, everybody's going to say, well, he ain't go through Mahomes. And to be the man, you have to beat the man. Woo! In my my Ric Flair voice. And Lamar Jackson is going to have the opportunity to show us why he's the best quarterback in the league. For those of you guys who don't believe it already. But Mahomes, you know, I he's a dog. He's one of the greats. But Lamar Jackson, he's coming. The young legend on the Pompano. Make sure that y'all take y'all notes down. Lamar Jackson's going to win the Super Bowl this year. I, I've been saying it since before the season started that it was going to come down to either Joe Burrow or Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson was my preseason pick to win MVP. And I had some Steeler fans that got a little bit upset with me because of the praise I've been giving Lamar Jackson. But the praise I've been giving Lamar is nothing new. I'm not new to the Lamar Jackson fan club. I've been on the Lamar Jackson fan club since he was a true freshman at Louisville. And I'm also from the state of Florida. So I always have to support my Florida brethren, especially somebody who's somewhat from the area that I currently reside in right now. Why wouldn't I support Lamar Jackson? And why would people even want to hate on Lamar anyway? There's no reason to hate on Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson doesn't get in 
any trouble off the field. He's a great leader. His teammates respect him. If you say anything or do anything to Lamar Jackson, the whole entire Ravens organization is going to get on you. And they're going to put those hands to you. So I, I really don't get all of the criticism that Lamar Jackson gets. Like I get that he's had some shortcomings in the playoffs. But you can't be a prisoner of the past. You have to take everything into context. It's funny how if Patrick Mahomes doesn't get it done against the Ravens, the excuse people are going to make is, well, Lamar Jackson had a better team. But nobody ever said that when Greg Roman was calling the plays. They never had a receiving core as good as what Mahomes and Joe Burrow have had in previous years until this one. Now you have the same amount of weapons around Lamar that guys like Mahomes and Joe Burrow have had. But the only difference is that the roles are reversed. Lamar has the better team, and Patrick Mahomes doesn't. And imagine if Lamar Jackson was throwing to Tyreek Hill. Like, Lamar Jackson has done more with less compared to guys like Patrick Mahomes. And he saved John Harbaugh's job. The only reason John Harbaugh still is in Baltimore right now is because of Lamar. Like, no matter if you're a Browns fan, a Bengals fan, a Steelers fan, you, you got to admit that Lamar Jackson is special. And just because you're a fan doesn't mean that you have to be biased against a certain player. And I, I live and die by this. The Steelers made a stupid-ass decision by not drafting Lamar Jackson. I wanted Lamar Jackson. I really did. And you know who we drafted over him? Terrell Edmonds. Still haunts me to this day. You know where Terrell Edmonds is right now? I don't know. That's the point. And what's the biggest problem with the Pittsburgh Steelers? We don't have a franchise quarterback. The Ravens, you know, the way they took care of business against the Houston Texans, it didn't look pretty at first, but I never doubted if they were going to be able to pull it off. I was just like, you know, they, they haven't played together in a couple of weeks. They're a little bit rusty, and the Houston Texans are a little bit amped up, but the more the game progressed, the more the Ravens started to show us why they were the better team. They were getting after C.J. Stroud for all afternoon. The Texans couldn't run the football. They haven't been able to run the football for the majority of this year. But anytime they tried to run the football, the Ravens defensive line was automatically in the backfield. It was automatic penetration. ASAP. As soon as Devin Singletary got the handoff, he was met by either Justin Matabuke or Jadavion Clowney or somebody else from the front seven. This is a complete football team. They have no weaknesses, and they're only going to get better because you got Mark Andrews and Marlon Humphrey coming back. Houston, I got some more thoughts on you later on this week, but I will say this. You definitely were probably the biggest surprise in the NFL this season. I didn't expect you to be terrible. I had you around six, seven wins, but if you would have told me you were going to win the AFC South over Jacksonville, win a playoff game, I would have said, I don't know about all of that. C.J. Stroud being a top five quarterback? Like, C.J. Stroud had the greatest rookie season in NFL history, better than Andrew Lux. He had less turnovers. He was more efficient. The Texans definitely have a bright future moving forward with what they have, not just from C.J. Stroud, but also the other young players that they have. Will Anderson, Tank Dell. So, there's a lot of young talent on this Houston Texans squad, which gives me a lot of hope that they're going to be in the championship picture in at least two more seasons. I think they're like one more year away 
from being able to compete for a Super Bowl. Once they get into 2025, 2026, they're, they're going to be rolling. And C.J. Stroud, he's going to be in that championship conversation. He's going to be in that MVP discussion on an annual basis like how Mahomes and Lamar are. Hell, he was in the MVP discussion for a good stretch of this season up until he got injured and he kind of had a couple of off games but this was a very successful season for the Houston Texans there were Texans fans who believed that this game could have been close but you know I, I didn't expect it to be close the Ravens were just way too good way too talented for the Texans to handle before we move on to my other topics of the night if you're enjoying the episode so far, hit that like button, subscribe to the channel. We're not a YouTube channel. We are a podcast. You can find us on all podcasting platforms, Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon, wherever you get your podcast from, the JT Sports Podcast is available. If you enjoy the content and you want to support us, all we ask is that you give us a five-star review. And also, send your boy a DM on x or instagram at jt sports underscore underscore at jt sports underscore or my x and instagram handles if you guys have a question that you would like answered on a future episode of the podcast send them in the dm and i definitely will read them i love interacting with you guys so hit me with the dm on x or instagram or just follow me up there so you can stay up to date with all the content that we have going on now now that we've moved on from the divisional round, we got to talk about some other things going around in the NFL. There's a lot of beef going on. You got former players and coaches beefing with each other. RG3 is beefing with Jay Gruden, his former head coach, when he was in Washington. You got CeeDee Lamb's mother dissing Dak Prescott in Ohio State. Hired Bill O'Brien to be their offensive coordinator. That's what we're about to get into. And we also are going to talk about the Antonio Pierce hiring because it was definitely a good hiring. It was the hiring that everybody wanted. Hell, Max Crosby threatened to demand a trade if they didn't hire Antonio Pierce. But now that they have him, is he going to be able to actually lead the Raiders to success? Shout out to everybody in the chat, man. I appreciate everybody that's tuned in to the live stream, man. Let Leave a like, subscribe if you're enjoying the episode. All right, so. The Raiders made the decision that everybody wanted them to make, and that was making Antonio Pierce their full-time head coach. There was a rumor circulating around that if Antonio Pierce wasn't the full-time head coach, Max Crosby was going to demand a trade. Don't know how legitimate those rumors were, but, you know, he did say everything was on the table. And now that you have the guy that all the fans wanted and all the players wanted, is Antonio Pierce going to be able to lead the Las Vegas Raiders to success? Because they're in a very tough division. All right, you got to go up against... Patrick Mahomes two times a year. You're going to have to go up against Sean Payton. Regardless how you feel about Sean Payton and how things went for Denver this year, he's still a very good coach. He's still one of the best coaches in the NFL, and he's a future Hall of Famer. So you got to show him respect. And if the Chargers get Mike Vrabel, Bill Belichick, or Jim Harbaugh, they're going to be in the Super Bowl discussion right away just with how good Justin Herbert is and 
how good of a roster they already somewhat have, even though they may have to move on from a couple of players. So for the Las Vegas Raiders, your defense played really good this season under Antonio Pierce, and you got a lot of good young players on that side of the ball outside of Max Crosby. Like, I was a big fan of Jack Jones when he was coming out of Arizona State, and when he got released by New England and he got picked up by the Raiders, I was like, you know, this seems like the kind of move that the Las Vegas Raiders would make. And then I find out that Jack Jones, you know, was a player under Antonio Pierce. Antonio Pierce used to coach him up back in his earlier playing days. So it made sense why Jack Jones ended up playing at an even better level for the Raiders than what he did with the New England Patriots. You also have some good wide receivers. You got Jacoby Myers. You have Devontae Adams. I doubt he's going to get traded to the New York Jets because he was somebody who was rooting for Antonio Pierce to get the interim head coach label removed from him and getting that full-time tag. So Antonio Pierce, you got some good young players to work with on defense. You got Devontae Adams, Jacoby Myers, some really good skill position players on the offense, but your offensive line needs to be improved and you definitely need to go out there and get your quarterback. If Antonio Pierce is going to be able to succeed in Las Vegas, he has to really make the right hires on the offensive staff. You can't hire an offensive coordinator that doesn't know what he's doing. All right, because that's the ultimate downfall of these defensive-minded coaches. Antonio Pierce, I don't view him solely as a defensive-minded coach. I view him more as a Mike Tomlin. He's a motivator. He's a player's coach who just happens to have a background on the defense side of football. And he's somebody that knows how to get the most out of his players, highly energetic, great character guy, great leader of men. But are you going to be able to find the right quarterback? Are you going to be able to hire the right OC? Because D'Amico Ryans, he lucked up and got C.J. Stroud and got Bobby Sloak, who was interviewing for head coaching jobs. That's what you need to have if you want to be successful as the head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders, that being Antonio's peers. And my biggest concern is that maybe he isn't going to be able to find the answer at quarterback. We know Aiden O'Connell isn't it. And there's some people who say that he should go out and sign Justin Fields or sign Russell Wilson or trade for Justin Fields. And I don't know about that. You know, if I just got hired, just being an interim head coach, I'm now a full-time head coach. Why would I want to risk my two, three years with this team on quarterbacks who are developmental projects? such as Justin Fields. Like, we still don't know just what Justin Fields is. We don't know if this dude is a mid-quarterback or if he's a great quarterback. He's somebody who you're still trying to figure out. You're still trying to untap his potential. And if I'm Antonio Pierce, I'm not trying to mess around with waiting on potential. And I'm not trying to waste my time on Russell Wilson. You know, trading for a guy like Justin Fields or signing Russell Wilson is how a guy like Antonio Pierce can end up getting fired. You you just don't sign a guy like Russell Wilson who's getting into his late 30s, who is getting washed up, who isn't able to even throw in the middle of the field anymore. Like, he's a limitation to your offense. And Justin Fields isn't a good enough passer to win you a lot of games in that division. You need to go out there, either trade for a proven quarterback 
or get your Kirk Cousins or trade up for one in the draft or get your Jaden Daniels, who Antonio Pierce somewhat has some ties to back during their time with Arizona State. But the Raiders really need to get the right quarterback in there and to make the right hires on the offensive staff if Antonio Pierce is going to be successful. And he is going to have a say in those things, but he really has to make sure that he goes into next season not having any questions at quarterback. If you can get quarterback right, then you can succeed as a defensive-minded coach. Everybody keeps saying how you need an offensive-minded coach now to win games. They're taking over the league. No, you don't. All you need to do is to hire the right guys on that side of the football who know what they're doing and get the right quarterback. You can't be the New York Jets drafting the guy like Zach Wilson, firing your offensive coordinator, replacing them for Nathaniel Hackett, and think that you're going to be successful. You can't be a guy like Mike Tomlin moving on from a future first battle Hall of Famer, Big Ben, and replacing him with his successor being Mitchell Trubisky and Kenny Pickett and Mason Rudolph. The reason why these defensive coordinate or these defensive-minded coaches don't win is because they don't really have a good grasp of how to build a good offense. And you don't really need that, but you at least need to have an idea of how to assemble you a good staff and how to find you and how to evaluate the quarterback position. Antonio Pierce, he knows Aiden O'Connell isn't it. Hell, they probably even flirted with the idea of benching him. But they they rolled with him. You know, young quarterback, let's see what he got. You feel me? And we know what Aiden O'Connell is. He's a really good backup. But for Antonio Pierce, if he's going to be able to win in this tough of a division, especially with the potential coach that the Chargers could hire, being either Jim Harbaugh or Bill Belichick, you definitely need to make sure that you're not trying to find ways to win games, trying to overcome having a lackluster offense and incompetent quarterback play. The quarterback position and whoever he hires as his offensive coordinator is going to be what makes or break Antonio Pierce being successful with the Las Vegas Raiders. I love Antonio Pierce. I wanted him to get the job. There was only one head coach who I would have hired over Antonio Pierce, and that would have been Jim Harbaugh because he's a proven winner. He has a way better track record than Antonio Pierce. Outside of him, who else was a better fit for Antonio Pierce? The players already were behind him, and they were willing to take some strong stands if he didn't get the job. And Mark Davis already made this mistake once when Rich Bisaccia, or Rich Bisaccia took the Raiders to the playoffs and they nearly beat the Cincinnati Bengals. And I thought he would have gotten the head coaching job, but they hired Josh McDaniel. So I'm glad that Mark Davis learned from his previous mistake. And right now, this seems to look like a really good hire, but we're not really going to know just how truly good of a hire this was until we start seeing the results on the field. But this definitely is somebody who I do believe can have some success in Las Vegas if he gets the offensive coordinator and quarterback spots right. And if he does, there's no telling what this team could do. Dak Prescott had an awful performance in the Dallas Cowboys' embarrassing loss against the Green Bay Packers. And CeeDee Lamb's mother took the Facebook to call out Dak Prescott. So this is CeeDee Lamb's mother. And she went on Facebook and said, Dak isn't it. Exclamation mark, exclamation mark. And then you had somebody in the comment section saying, tell the youngin to come to the home team. CJ will love him. And she responds, shit, 
I wish he would. CJ is great. So Dak Prescott is getting dumped on by his best receiver's mother. And this is a little bit similar to the Odell Beckham Jr. situation with his dad calling out Baker Mayfield on Facebook and making out a montage of lowlights of Baker Mayfield overthrowing OBJ when he was open. You know, the, the writing is on the wall when it comes to what Dak Prescott is. He's a really good quarterback. And I still think he's good enough to win you a Super Bowl, but if you're the Cowboys, he's one of those QBs that you should quietly be trying to find his replacement. Because, I mean, CeeDee Lamb's mother has a point. Don't y'all think she has a point? I mean, she's not wrong. Dak isn't it. He isn't it when it comes to being a Super Bowl caliber QB. He may be good enough to maybe lead you to a Super Bowl, but I wouldn't trust him to be able to lead you to a winning one. Hell, he can't even play good in the playoffs. And you can blame Mike McCarthy. You can blame Jason Garrett. But at the end of the day, how much accountability does Dak Prescott have to have on his plate for the role that he plays in these Cowboy losses? Because, yeah, he had some great stats against Green Bay, but they were meaningless stats because the game was already over. He didn't play that way in the first half when they got down 21-0 and they needed to pass the sticks. Like, once they got down 21-0, I texted all my Cowboys friends and I said, hey, pass the controller over. It's time to let somebody else get a turn. And even in their loss to the 49ers last year and the previous season, yeah, it wasn't a blowout, but it still was a little bit of an ugly game when you look at how Dak Prescott folded like sandpaper in the fourth quarter with the stupid interceptions that he threw. She has a point. Dak Prescott isn't it. I, I think that she's been 100% facts right here in this post. And whoever says that he needs to go to the home team, go to Houston, hell yeah, he needs to go to Houston. I would love to see CeeDee Lamb and CJ Stroud. That would be one of the best wide receiver duos in the National Football League. Plus, you have a fully healthy Tank Dell. Oh my goodness. Imagine if the Dallas Cowboys had C.J. Stroud this season. They probably would have beaten the Green Bay Packers. Dak Prescott, I don't know what it is with this dude. Anytime he gets into the postseason, he just looks like a completely different quarterback than what we see in the regular season. And the postseason isn't the same as the regular season. I had somebody told me this who used to be like an assistant coach in the NFL. He used to always say how the regular season has a different feel from the playoffs. In the playoffs, mistakes are magnified. Things are more intense on the sidelines. Every yard seems to have an impact on the game. And football is a game of inches. And once you get into the playoffs, not only is it a game of inches, but it's also a game of paying attention to the small details. Because playoff football, everybody has a good team, and everybody is pretty well coached. At least once you get to the divisional round, the teams that aren't that great, who don't have great coaching, they get bounced out early in the first round. Prime example, why the Dallas Cowboys are now in Cancun with everybody else that was in the playoffs. Because they aren't really a well-coached team. And yeah, they got a lot of talent, but they don't play up to the level of talent that they have. Hell, this is the same issue that they had with Jerry Jones. Well, with Jason Garrett, the master clapper, being their head coach a few years ago. And yeah, Mike McCarthy is better than Jason Garrett. Yeah, he's had a couple of winning seasons. He's won this division. But 
that shouldn't really be what the end goal is for the Dallas Cowboys. You see, the Dallas Cowboys are one of those franchises that their season, how it's defined, rather it be viewed as a success or a failure, is based on what they do in the postseason. Everybody expects them to be good in the regular season, so you can't get no props for that because that's what you're expected to do. Your expectations and what defines you is what you're going to do in the playoffs. And the Dallas Cowboys always wet the bid when they get into the postseason. And Dak Prescott is the problem with that. Or he's part of the problem. Now, can he potentially be part of the solution? Maybe if you get the right head coach. But, you know, Dak Prescott, he deserves this. You know, C.D. Lamb's mother, she was spinning nothing but facts in this post. Dak ain't it. Yeah, he ain't it. That's the Dallas Cowboys starting quarterback. And neither is big Mike McCarthy, but she she didn't post that. But I'm going to say it. Mike McCarthy ain't it neither. And people are saying Jerry Jones is just getting up there in age. He doesn't want to go through the process again. So you're telling me that because of his age, he just is okay with mediocrity and maybe never getting to see the day that the Cowboys win another Super Bowl? Okay, cool. That's fine with me. I just thought that the Cowboys were just so much more of a franchise that they didn't tolerate mediocrity. You know, this is America's team. You think that America's team will have the best players, the best coaches, and want to have the drive to win. And just keeping Mike McCarthy around just shows me that the Cowboys aren't serious about trying to win a Super Bowl if you're worried about having to go through the process of hiring a new head coach. You're worried about a head coach like Bill Belichick who kind of is going to want you to keep your mouth closed. Like, I, I don't understand why Jerry Jones has such an ego problem. Like, why does he need to have credit? Why does he need to be in the spotlight? Like, shouldn't winning a Super Bowl matter more than that? Why Why do you... The whole Jimmy Johnson and Jerry Jones fiasco never made sense to me. Like, you were mad at Jimmy Johnson because you didn't get enough credit for the team's success? Like, what the fuck is that? Why is it that ego is such a big factor and why these franchises that have so much talent end up underachieving every year. It makes no sense. Who cares about your ego? Like, don't you just want to win the Super Bowl? Why Why do you necessarily need the credit for winning a championship? Like, that makes no sense to me. Who cares, bro? Who, who cares if you drafted the players and you assembled the roster? It's a team effort. Unless you just want to be the GM and be the coach too. I mean, it, it makes no sense how ego just gets in the way of a lot of these owners making decisions. You know, like Mike McCarthy needs to go. If you got to sacrifice your ability to, you know, talk to the media and your media availability because you want Bill Belichick to be the face of the team so you can win, then I think it's a pretty good sacrifice to make, honestly. But Dak Prescott, he got some harsh criticism from C.D. Lamb's mother on the book. This kind of reminds me when I used to play high school football, and if you ever played football on any level outside of college, you know that the parents on the sidelines, some of them can get really chatty, really talkative, and have a lot of things to say to the coach when their son isn't getting a certain amount of playing time, and they feel like their son could do a little bit more if they were utilized more. This is one of those situations that kind of reminds me of that, and it's Ideally similar to the OBJ and Baker Mayfield situation. Now, I don't think that her post on Facebook is going to cause 
any tension in the locker room. Like C.D. Lamb and Dak Prescott got a pretty good relationship from what people report. And everybody in the locker room likes Dak Prescott. You know, the team goes to war for him. He's a very likable guy. He's a great leader. It's just that when it comes to him playing well in the playoffs, for some reason, he he just always unravels. The year 2024 is crazy, people. I never thought we would see the day when a former player would be beefing on social media with his former coach. But we got that here, people. We got RG3 versus Dre Gruden. Primetime on X last Twitter beefing. And it's crazy how this thing even started because all Jay Gruden was doing was minding his own business. He was watching the Philadelphia Eagles get embarrassed by the Tempe Buccaneers in the wildcard round, seeing the Buccaneers blitz Jalen to hell. And all he said is, if I ever put a QB through what Philly is putting Jalen through, I apologize. Pick up a blitz. Didn't mention anything about RG3, right? And here RG3 goes with the, say what? And of course he has to, you know, make himself a meme because this is RG3. And then... I would have thought this was the end of this interaction because Jay Gruden is a former head coach and RG3, you you know, like, I don't even think he was expecting a reaction because if you're a head coach, you're a lot older than a guy like RG3. So you would think that you going back and forth with a former player of yours on social media would be a little bit beneath you. You will have much better things to do with your time. But no, he clapped back. He said, you weren't prepared, Robert, with the question mark. Ooh, RG3, you weren't prepared? You weren't prepared? And RG3, he said, you told me you didn't know how to coach a QB who could throw and run like me. So looks like you weren't prepared, Jay. And he got the little meme with the, the fishing hat, you know, and, and Jay Gruden clapped back. Oh God, it, it gets it, it gets worse from here, people. He says, you are right. We didn't have a good enough staff. Sorry, hope all is well with you. I don't know about that, Jay Gruden. Didn't have a good enough staff? I mean, RG3's two offensive coordinators, the first one when he was with Mike Shanahan was Kyle Shanahan, and then his second offensive coordinator under Jay Gruden was Sean McVay. And when he was playing under Mike Shanahan, not only did he have Kyle Shanahan as his offensive coordinator, but he had Matt LaFleur or Mike LaFleur. I, I get them mixed up, but one of the LaFleurs as his quarterback's coach, he was the current head coach of the Green Bay Packers. And then the wide receivers coach was the head coach of the Miami Dolphins, Mike McDaniel. So I, I felt like the Washington Redskins at the time had a pretty good coaching staff around RG3. So I don't know if I can agree with you on this one, Jay Gruden, but let's continue because we got some more words. RG3 has a podcast. You guys should check it out. Really good podcast, by the way. And he said that Jay Gruden told him to, after a loss, to go ahead and call out his teammates to the media. And RG3 apparently did this. This is his words, not mine. And when he called out his teammates doing what Jay Gruden allegedly told him to do, you know, Jay Gruden went behind his back and just completely burnt them to the national media and to the locker room. Now, I don't know how true this is. And like all of us who aren't in the NFL, we don't know how 
situations like this transpire so we can only go off what RG3 says. But Jay Gruden responds. He says, you really want to play this game? You really want to play this game? Man, I I'm eager to know what Jay Gruden's side of the story is because he came out on his podcast and he didn't really say too much. You know, he kind of just tried to, you know, de-escalate the situation. But you know what they say? There's two sides to every story. So RG3 has his side of the story, but what's Jay Gruden's side of the story? You know what they say? You got two sides of the story, and then you got the truth. What's the truth of this? We're about to get to it. You weren't good enough. Kirk was better. Cleveland didn't want you. Baltimore didn't either. Quit blaming me. I agree with Jay Gruden on this, and I love RG3. You know, I love watching him as a player at Baylor, Early his rookie season with the Redskins, and I, I I even enjoy him as a commentator and the analyst. Even though some of his things can be a little bit corny, but sometimes they can be a little bit funny too. But Jay Gruden is right about this. RG three just wasn't good enough, and RG three doesn't take enough accountability for the way his career went. And the people who defend RG three, they always say Washington ruined them. They put him in the scheme that only used him as a runner. Well, all Kyle Shanahan did was put RG3 in the system that best utilized his talent. It's not like RG3 was this great passer. And after he suffered that injury after his rookie season, it was well reported and it's out there for all you guys who want to look it up that he wanted to become a pocket passer, something that he's not. You see, the offense that Kyle Shanahan and Mike Shanahan had designed for RG3 was an elementary offense. It was pretty basic, but it was a little bit hard to stop because nobody really seen the offense like that at the time. You had Alfred Morritt, fellow FAU alum who was toting the rock, who was a pro bowler at running back. And then you had some pretty talented receivers around RG3 as well. So they had a pretty solid offense. Plus, he had Trent Williams in his prime. Young prime Trent Williams at that before he left for San Fran. So there was talent there. But why didn't it work out for RG3 if this was such a bad situation? Why did Kirk Cousins come and ball out with this same coaching staff? He balled out when Sean McVay was calling plays. And he was way better than what RG3 was outside of his rookie season in Washington. So if RG3 is bad with Jay Gruden and his staff, why was Kirk Cousins able to become one of the most highest paid quarterbacks in the NFL with them being his offensive coordinators and their head coach? I mean, he has Sean McVay, people. Sean McVay is one of the greatest offensive minds in the history of the game. So how couldn't you not make it work with him? So I'm not saying that all this is on RG3. You know, Jay Gruden wasn't a good coach neither. This is another story about Jay Gruden that I would love to hear about how him and one of his running backs kind of were messing with the same broad. And when he found out about it, he benched the running back and that running back happened to be their best pass protector and him not being in the game caused Alex Smith to suffer that devastating leg injury that nearly took his life, pretty much. So uh, it's like it's not like this dude was a great coach neither, but let's not make it seem like, you know, Jay Gruden is the villain here and RG3 is the superhero because there are a lot of 
people who are Redskins fans who always tell me that RG3 wasn't really that great of a person. That's what people think. You know, he had accountability problems. You know, he kind of was seen as a little bit too cocky at times. He thought he was better than everybody else. And that's just what a lot of Washington fans or former Redskins fans tell me. But I do believe that there's truth to a lot of the things that both of these two dudes are saying. I do believe that RG3, there were certain things that he was lacking that he needed to be successful as an NFL quarterback. And part of growing as a person is being able to be accountable for the mistakes and decisions that you make so you don't repeat them in the future. I mean, he went to Cleveland, got a second chance, and although the Browns weren't great, you know, he was a former first-round pick. And the injury definitely took a lot out of RG3. He definitely wasn't the same player. But, you you know, like, for the people who say Washington got him hurt, it's like they got him hurt utilizing him the best way they knew how in the best way they could. He wasn't a great passer. He never was somebody who was dissecting defenses, who really understood coverages. He's not even as the same. He's not even on the same level as a guy like Lamar Jackson. They had to kind of dumb the playbook down for him. Which is why he was such a great mentor for a guy like Lamar Jackson. Because Lamar Jackson kind of went through a similar thing. The only difference is that Lamar Jackson has just become a way better quarterback than what RG3 ever was. He's better than RG3 in every phase. Running the ball and throwing the ball. He's a way better passer than what RG3 ever was. RG3 wasn't the greatest passer. You know, he, he was solid, but he wasn't great. And he was kind of one of those one read and run quarterbacks. And that's why his rookie season was so phenomenal because he had a great staff around him that knew how to put him in the offense for him to not only have success but for the team to have success. So he got hurt. Yeah, but injuries are just a part of the game. That's what happens. You can't blame Washington for that because they utilized him in the way that best equated for him have success and them winning games. If RG3 was such a great quarterback and he was felt by the coaching staff, why did Kirk Cousins end up being way more better than him? Why did Kirk Cousins get more guaranteed money? And why is Kirk Cousins still quarterbacking in the NFL now and RG3 is commentating? And I don't have anything against RG3. You feel me? I love RG3. But I, I just feel like enough people, I don't think there's enough people who give RG3 the proper criticism for how his career turned out like yeah he didn't have great coaching and he wasn't in a great organization but this same toxic organization that Dan Snyder was running Kirk Cousins took that situation and he balled out and got paid a lot of money from it and it's the prime example of how you know some people in life can turn oranges and turn it into orange juice and some people get an orange and they don't even know how to unpeel it if that makes sense. I don't think it makes sense, but it, it, it sounds like it makes sense. But it, it's just that, you know, everybody gets dealt a different hand in life. And when you get dealt a different hand, even if you have a bad hand, you still got to find a way to win. Now, football is a team sport, and there are a lot of factors that go into winning. But with how good this coaching staff was that RG3 had under Mike Shanahan and Sean McVay being his offensive coordinator under Jay Gruden, like, you would have thought that he would have had a little bit more success, even despite the injury. So I, I would love to ask RG3, what could you have done better as a quarterback? You know, we know what Jay Gruden could have done better, but what you what could have you what could you have done better to put yourself in a better situation 
to have a better career. You know, you had a pretty good career. Everybody remembers what you did your rookie season. You had one of the most polarizing rookie seasons ever. I was a huge fan. I had you on my fantasy team. But it's just that, you know, we never hear enough about what RG3 did wrong and what he could have done better during his days in Washington. We just hear all this thing about trying to make him the victim. And, you know, I'm not trying to say that it's all on RG3 why his career went the way that it did. You know, the organization did play a part in that, but I just don't think enough people don't give RG3 enough accountability or ask him these kinds of questions because they just think about how talented and how good he was his rookie season. Like, I was, I made a TikTok about it, and it was somebody who said, man, you don't know shit about football, man. Like, RG3 didn't have nothing. He was in a terrible organization, but he had Kyle Shanahan as his offensive coordinator, Sean McVay. LaFleur as his quarterback's coach, Mike McDaniel as his wide receiver's coach. Like, that coaching staff was stacked. And Kirk Cousins was balling out. So why is it that RG3 couldn't ball out for a lot longer, but Kirk Cousins was? There's been plenty of quarterbacks who have come back from devastating injuries. You know, like, I just want to know from RG3's perspective, what are things in his career that he could have done better? Like, I believe Jay Gruden has a point. And RG3 has some fair points. Jay Gruden wasn't a great coach. Hell, there was another player who was coming at Jay Gruden, who was like a former punt returner for him. Like, Jay Gruden wasn't a good coach. We know that. But I'm eager to know what are some things that RG3 did that he could have done better. Because it's not like this dude was well-liked by his teammates. He did have, you know, a little bit of some characteristics that could come off a little bit brash that could wrong people the wrong way but i do think that he has pretty good intentions but from reading a lot of reports about rg3 during his playing days with washington when they used to be named the redskins you know they said that he was a guy that just didn't really seem that authentic he was kind of corny but you know everybody is a little bit different but i i just think that Everybody just thinks about how talented RG3 was and everybody thinks about what he could have been if he never got injured. But nobody thinks that, you know, maybe the system that he was in was the system that was best fit for him having success at the NFL level. People just think that if you're a great coach, you should be able to turn a quarterback into a great passer. Or if you're a great coach, you should be able to turn any quarterback into a stud. And it doesn't work that way. Kyle Shanahan is a great coach and he couldn't make it work with Trey Lance. There's been plenty of good coaches who just couldn't make it work with certain quarterbacks. You know, like I think that more people need to give RG3 a little bit more blame for how his career turned out. It just seems like everybody just wants to victimize RG3, which he kind of was a victim in a sense because the Redskins were a horribly ran organization under Dan Snyder. But at the same time, there were things that RG3 did wrong that if he could have gone back and corrected it, maybe his career would have played out differently. The last thing I want to talk about is this, man. So this is the only college football segment that we're going to talk about on this episode. We're going to talk about some more college football throughout the week, but you guys remember Bill O'Brien, the offensive coordinator for the New England Patriots? Well, guess what? Bill O'Brien got hired by Ohio State to become their new offensive coordinator. And guess what's even better? He's going to be calling the plays. He's taking over play calling duties for Ryan Day. 
Oh my goodness, when I first saw this news, I did nothing but laugh. But, you know, I have to sit back and think over it. Because Bill O'Brien isn't a terrible offensive coordinator, how people would lead you to believe. You know, he did do a pretty decent job at Alabama. Did he do an A-plus job at Alabama? Absolutely not. But I would give him a B grade from his job calling plays at Alabama. The problem with Alabama is that Bill O'Brien's offense was putting up points, and you can say that their defense didn't really do them any favors, but it was too Bryce Young-centric. And that's why Nick Saban cleaned house with the coaching staff. He said that we need to get back to the basics and we were way too dependent on Bryce Young. Bill O'Brien, though, when you look at his track record, when he's just been a play caller, he's had success everywhere he's been outside of this past season with the New England Patriots. If you're a college football fan, and you don't keep up with the NFL like that. You can't really judge Bill O'Brien for how his previous stint with the Patriots went because the Patriots just were a disaster on offense they had no receivers that could separate they didn't have a good offensive line they had no quarterbacks the only thing they had were some decent running backs and Bill O'Brien with him calling the calling the plays your rushing attack is going to be extremely deadly this year you give him Travion Henderson and Quinshawn Juckins yeah he's going to cook with that and you also can make the argument that this hire can work out because Bill O'Brien is going to be working with way more talent than what he ever had to work with this past season in New England and when he was coaching at Alabama. What you mean, JT, is Alabama? They always have talent. There's a reason why they have to get Jamison Williams from the transfer portal. There are only two great receivers during Bill O'Brien's tenure calling plays was John Mechie, and JMO, that was about it. So it's not like Alabama was the same Alabama that you used to know back when they just used to have great receivers come in and come out. Ohio State getting Bill O'Brien as their OC with the talent that they have might not be as bad as a move as what people think. Now, is it a hire that I would have made if I was Ryan Day with the pressure that I'm under coming into this season? Absolutely not. I strongly believe that Dan Mullen would have been a way better hire than Bill O'Brien. And I don't get why Dan Mullen hasn't been hired as an offensive coordinator yet. Maybe he just enjoys his job in the studio. I want to give him on the podcast one day in the future. But Dan Mullen would have been a fantastic hire for Ohio State if they were looking for a new play caller. And I don't even think Ryan Day's play calling was that bad. It's just that the quarterback position wasn't that good and... You know, he was fortunate enough to get C.J. Stroud, who's a top five QB in the National Football League right now, and was able to get Justin Fields, who also was a first round pick, who's had somewhat of a successful career in the NFL. Well, I don't know if you can call it successful, but, you know, his career in the NFL has been pretty solid up to this point. So you got two NFL quarterbacks. Of course, you were going to have a hard time finding your third one. The only head coach in college football that consistently can find outstanding quarterback play and coach him up and turn him in the gyms is Lincoln Riley. That's about it. So for Ryan Day, him giving up play calling, was it necessary? Maybe it was. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe part of that was due to the fact that they just didn't evaluate the quarterback position properly. Because a lot of Buckeye fans really believe that if C.J. Stroud would have stayed for this season, they would have took down Michigan this season. I have to agree with that. But Bill O'Brien, you know, as a play caller, he does have a lot of experience. He coached a lot. He coached 
as the OC for Tom Brady a few years back in the early 2010s. And he's somebody who's really fiery. His nickname is Teapot because he's really quick to rile up. But I do think that when it comes to having somebody who can get the most out of your personnel with what you have, Bill O'Brien definitely is more than capable of being able to do that. And he may not be the most flashiest hire. He may not be a hire that you want, but I don't think Bill O'Brien is going to be a complete disaster calling plays for the Buckeyes, considering the amount of talent they have and considering, considering the fact that this dude knows football. If you don't believe that, look up Bill O'Brien Coaching Clinic. Listening to Bill O'Brien talk football, fam, is like music to your ears if you're a football nerd like me. Like, this dude breaks down every single detail of the game. And I was really surprised that the Patriots offense was even worse than what it was the previous season. They just didn't have no talent. You see, when you're calling the plays, you, you're only as good as what you have to work with. You can't just turn shit into gold if you just have nothing but shit around you and you don't have a little bit of gold. At Ohio State, he has a lot of gold and a lot of things to work with. So Bill O'Brien, to me... I'm not going to say this was a bad hire, but it was a hire that you probably could have done better in. If you were going to hire an OC, Dan Mullen was out there. He definitely would have been better than Bill O'Brien, but Bill O'Brien isn't bad. He's a B-tier coordinator, in my opinion. Is this going to be good enough to help you beat Michigan? Be able to end that losing streak to the team up north? We'll see, but they got a stacked team. Bill O'Brien, it's not like the offense was unserviceable at times at Alabama. It's just that the defense was so terrible and they were so Bryce Young dependent. But Bill O'Brien, he's a pretty good football coach. He knows what he's doing. But, you know, it's not a bad hire. It's not as bad as what people are making it out to be. People make it seem like Ohio State's offense is about to fall off the cliff of Bill O'Brien. It's just that he's a B-tier coordinator. And at a school like Ohio State, you probably need better than B tier. You probably need A++, considering the expectations are to win championships every single season. This is it for this episode of the JT Sports Podcast. If you guys enjoyed, leave a like. Remember that we are a podcast. You can find us on Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon, wherever you get your podcasts from. The JT Sports Podcast is available. Subscribe, share, and I'll see you guys with another episode Tuesday night at 9.15 p.m. Eastern Time. Going to be breaking down the conference championship matchups. We're going to talk college football and NFL as well. So I'll see you guys Tuesday night with another episode.